0: When was the last time you felt afraid? I mean really afraid. There are as many kinds of ghosts in this world as there are living beings. Some simply appear, some try to help or communicate with us, and others mean us harm. Encounters with the supernatural are not random chaotic experiences. They are all too real. This account is not fiction. It is also real. But do not be afraid. I am here to guide you through the spaces where the living meet the dead. The staff finish cleaning each dining room and snuff the candles in the sconces. Brass with a plate to reflect light from the tapers around the room. There are two in each dining room. When the flame is extinguished, the light remains. Many times after snuffing the candles, they still spread an unearthly light. Built on an original land grant from the British Crown, nearly unchanged since it was constructed 250 years ago, the pink-walled mansion features an interior filled with antiques and portraits of notable citizens. It took 20 years before construction of the house was complete. James Hammersham Jr., one of Savannah's most important cotton factors, and founding family members lived there until his death in 1815. Major Havisham is seen quite often in this house by patrons and staff of the restaurant. This is one of the finest restaurants in the city. In 1985, having dinner on the second floor with my ex-wife, I was facing the fireplace with my back to the stairway. We were having a glass of wine waiting for our appetizer. Paula seemed to be acknowledging someone, I could tell by her manner that someone was standing to my right. I turned and saw no one. I turned back and she was in a daze, her eyes looking away at nothing in particular. I asked to whom she was speaking, and she responded, a very charming man in blue swallowtail jacket and old-fashioned breeches. A handsome and cultured gentleman she said, turning away to stare at the fire. I asked the waiter if a man in period dress was interpreting history in the restaurant. She asked us to accompany her downstairs that she would like to show us a portrait. We got to the first floor at the main entrance, and she pointed to the large framed portrait of James Havisham hanging in the front foyer. Paula identified the man in the portrait as the pleasant gentleman and apparently she was not the first to be charmed by the former resident. Major Havisham still takes pride in his home and enjoys the crowds that visit each night, especially the ladies, it would seem. Today, an English pub with a large central bar inhabits the space in the basement. A piano stands in the corner, and a local singer-songwriter is featured five nights a week. She told me of a slave child that haunts the tavern. He has on occasion followed her home. Magumba was a slave child who succumbed to a malarial fever. The household slaves begged Mr. Havisham to save the boy. He called his personal physician in to help with the child's recovery. But the young boy died, the long miserable death of a yellow fever victim horrible screams of agony and the wailing and crying of the women. James Havisham's people were overcome by the illness of the house favorite, Magumba. It was so bad that the boy's mother pleaded he be killed and put out of his misery. The master refused and tried everything to help the boy, but he died in one of the bedrooms of the house. He was put in bed and nursed by the slave women of the house for weeks. A very unusual thing for an owner to have a slave in one of his beds treated by his own doctor. The boy is heard to this day in the house playing hide and switch. A slave child would hide a simple switch cut from a tree and whoever found it would then chase the others in an attempt to whip them. The game seemed to help slave children in distressing situations through role-play. Denied the luxury of store-bought toys, slave children would ride stick horses, improvise houses out of wooden crates, and dolls out of rags, wood, and string. Marbles were a popular pastime where they competed in tournaments against other slave children from nearby plantations. Slave children were trained for a life of servitude and subject to the same harsh treatments as adults. Children experienced beatings of one kind or another and witnessed the beatings of others. They had to come to terms with pain and punishment as an everyday fact of their lives. Built in the Georgian style, current when the four kings George reigned in continuous succession, From 1714 to 1830, the pink exterior gives the home a tropical appearance. The color competes for attention with the green live oaks and the blue sky. Pink has century-old roots, bound up in the colonial past, with many deep layers of history. It turns the mind from its course, changes the sentiment, swallows the thought. The color is thought to raise the pulse rate and speed the heart. It's seductive, emotional, compelling, and pink gets us in the gut. A staunch loyalist, James Havisham, came to the colony of Georgia in 1738 and became a leading merchant and public servant. He set up a partnership to make commercial transatlantic trips to England. His business was considered the first successful commercial endeavor in Georgia. With resources from this business, Habersham acquired land along rivers for rice planting. After the slavery ban in Georgia was lifted, his rice fields developed into a massive 15,000-acre plantation with 200 slaves. A growing class of merchants would create new lines of private enterprise, while attaining high levels of wealth and developing a genteel lifestyle to match. Numerous plantations laid stretch out along the coastal rivers. The planters needed ready access to the ships that would carry their harvest to market. Hence, a host of wharfs and docks sprouted up in Savannah along the waterfront. Cotton exhausted soil fertility so rapidly that individual planters needed large quantities of land simply in order to maintain consistent levels of production. When after a few years, one field would no longer bear a good crop, cultivation was moved to others, which entailed great labor. The response was slavery, the use and ownership of Africans imported in transoceanic ships. Many of the slaves came from parts of West Africa where rice growing was important. Hence, they were in a good position to instruct their owners as Savannah developed its own rice industry. Take bound labor out of the picture and colonial development would have proceeded slowly, less profitably for those in charge and with less strain for the slaves themselves. His advocacy for the economic benefits of slavery influenced a repeal on the ban. Slaves working on sugar and rice plantations faced greater physical work than those on cotton plantations. It is worth noting that many of the deprivations faced by slaves were the results of a system that had outlived its time. When slavery vanished, no one mourned it for long. Though he disapproved of Parliament's oppressive acts, Havisham remained firmly loyal to the Crown. Universally reported he died while visiting New Jersey in 1775. His last days darkened by the impending struggle, which arrayed in his words and in his own case, father against son and son against father. All three of his sons became supporters of the American Revolution, but Habersham Senior pledged his loyalty to the crown. He is buried in Savannah's Colonial Park Cemetery Standing since 1771 and serving as a residence, a bank, Confederate Army headquarters, a tea room, as well as an antique shop, the Pink House has survived three fires that destroyed over half the city. Between 1816 and 1869, it was the Planters Bank, the first national bank in Georgia. The house is older than the nation itself, a savannah icon as symbolic as Spanish moss and live oak trees. Located on Reynolds Square, the site of the filature, which housed silkworms as part of an early unsuccessful attempt to establish a silk colony. Laid out in 1734 as Lower New Square and later named for Captain John Reynolds. Reynolds was an officer of the Royal Navy and from 1754 to 1757, was royal governor of the Providence of Georgia, an unpopular governor of Georgia in the mid-1750s. It is said that the celebration upon his arrival in the colony was rivaled only by that held upon his departure. James and his brother Joseph were Liberty Boys, members of the revolutionary movement who met periodically at tondy's Tavern. James Habersham Jr. was one of the first and most zealous patriots in this country. He commanded one of the parties by whom a large stock of powder was taken in 1775 and which the British governor, James Wright, was taken prisoner in 1776. He served as a major with the Georgia militia and a colonel in the Continental Army. He was twice captured, once at Savannah and again at Charleston both times exchanged to continue active service through the war. He had to resign from the Continental Army after he served as Lachlan McIntosh Second in the controversial duel that killed Button Gwinnett. In early 1777, Gwinnett read a letter from John Hancock in front of the General Assembly. When we had two governments in this country, the British and the Revolutionary, The letter described how McIntosh's brother had been trading with the British in Florida. Lachlan called Gwinnett a lying scoundrel in front of the group, and Button challenged him to a duel. Because he was the challenged party, he had the right to pick the method and the weapons. He picked pistols at three paces. Colonel McIntosh's second was James Havisham, who asked the colonel, are we going to stand back to back and walk three paces? Which would have been six paces. He said, no, you are going to mark off three paces and we are going to face each other and see what we're about. They faced each other with pistols, shooting a shot almost the size of a mini ball, just nine feet apart. Each shot the other in the leg to show they meant business. Neither meant to kill the other, But unfortunately, Gwinnett's artery burst, and he died of gangrene three days later. McIntosh, however, recovered from his wounds and lived another 26 years. Anytime he was asked about Button Gwinnett, he would say the reason Gwinnett died was because he had a poor physician. It wasn't because he blew his knee off. It was the doctor's fault. In 1795, Habersham was appointed postmaster by President Washington and served until 1801. He spent his life a planter and merchant, and in 1851 succumbed to natural causes at the age of 64. A student at the local art college worked in the restaurant as a waitress, and her boyfriend also worked there as a busboy. They often pulled the same shifts. One night after closing, the staff had finished cleaning and everyone was standing at the front door waiting for the tips to be shared out. She was standing in the foyer, facing the group and telling of her visit to Tybee Island the weekend before. She had her back to the front door and was just talking away. She was describing an episode involving her weekend at the beach. Everyone was listening and she had their full attention. As she was speaking, she felt a hand on her shoulder, but didn't bother to see who it was, thinking it was her beau joining in. So she just kept on talking. The hand on her shoulder got heavy. She thought he must really be tired because he kept pressing down, heavier and heavier. She was right at the climax of her story when she turned to her boyfriend for acknowledgment, and there was no one there. She fell to the floor, started crying hysterically. The fanlight over the front door is the oldest in Georgia. The interior features a simple Georgian stairway. The home was open to military generals after Sherman and the Union Army presented the city of Savannah as a Christmas gift to President Abraham Lincoln in 1864. After the Civil War, the house changed hands several times, becoming an attorney's office, a bookstore, and then the Georgia Tea Room. The house is used as a restaurant today and one of the best bars in the city is in the basement, the Planters Tavern. Since the building became a restaurant, A specter believed to be Major Havisham will often straighten table settings and put chairs into their place. Sometimes if a server leaves a station in a mess, they come back and it will be perfectly straight. Planter's Tavern located in the basement is also active with very mischievous children who play pranks. These spirits are very playful. No one is here to hurt you. Staff will be working at a task not consciously looking, and see movement in their peripheral. The women's bathroom, located in the planter's tavern, has no lock on the door. You walk in the men's room and everything is right there, but the ladies room has two vanities and a settee with stalls in the back. Women will go in, use the facilities, and before they exit, will sit at the vanity and fix their hair and makeup. Many times when alone in the room, upon attempting to leave, the door will not open. Try as they might, the door is locked. They will be heard by waitstaff or another woman, and the door is gently pushed open for their aggress. I tell people it must be Major Havisham, and he has his foot on the door. One night, I had a group upstairs for a private tour, and while they finished their meal, I was downstairs at the bar. It wasn't too busy that night. And while I was waiting, I struck up a conversation with a couple from New York. We began to talk about many hauntings in Savannah when the bartender came over to see how we were getting along. Erica has had many encounters through the years. She has noticed paranormal activity just about every night. The glasses seem to move just out of grass when she reaches for them at times of the night. She began to explain how at times when she is busy, moving from one side of the bar to the other, taking orders and preparing drinks, she will get hit in the back of the head with a bottle of wine as it shoots out the wooden rack above her head. When something falls, it goes straight down. The bottles are shot out of the rack, like they've been pushed. Erica and the rest of the staff at the tavern seem to take it all in stride. They're just children, after all. Right then, in front of us, a wine bottle shot out and hit her in the back of the head. Erica has waist-length hair that she keeps up in a bun on the back of her head, and the floor behind the bar has a thick rubber mat, so there was no real damage to her or the bottle of wine. She smiled as she picked up the bottle and said, see, just like that. Where the Living Meet the Dead was written and hosted by Robert Edgley and produced by Mark Francis. To buy Robert's book or get more information on his hauntings tour of Savannah, please go to savannahghostlytours.com. That's savannahghostlytours.com.